This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen. And you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show... We are speaking to Tara Swerzy and Natasha Springers Levine, the two women behind Strider, the number one professional equestrian event platform. We talk about their work dynamics and how to set boundaries both personally and professionally. Tara Swerzy is the CEO of Strider, the company behind the industry's innovative no fee Strider Pay payment processing service and the popular Strider bookings platform for equestrians. She's a seasoned executive with 20 plus years of experience leading teams and over a decade working to implement market solutions within the equestrian industry. Prior to launching Strider in 2016, Tara held a variety of senior positions at the U.S. Department of Defense, where she supported government clients on international security concerns. Her diverse professional experience includes serving as managing partner at a private equity group focused on technology innovation and as a director of environmental issues at a nonprofit focused on sustainable real estate development for marginalized communities. When not leading Strider, she serves on the board of several companies to include Artemis Horsematch and Zenos Global. She frequently mentors business students on startup ideas to include serving as a judge at pitch competitions held by the Georgetown Entrepreneurship Initiative out of Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. She's a featured speaker at industry conferences and equine association national meetings. Tara earned her undergraduate degree in political science from University of Massachusetts and her master's degree in international security studies from Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. In her free time, she's an amateur event rider and can often be found competing among the fantastic venues in Area 2. Natasha Springers-Levine joined the team at Strider in 2017. As COO, she handles much of Strider's rapidly expanding partnership group and relations with retailers, associations, and brands across the equestrian space. A USDF silver and bronze medalist, USPC graduate, an Intercollegiate Dressage Association Individual National Champion. Natasha has over 10 years of experience in dressage and sport horse training facilities along the East Coast. With writing regularly featured in various industry publications, Natasha has written extensively for United States Eventing Association, Dressage Today, and Eventing Nation. Natasha earned her BA in political science and philosophy from the University of Vermont in 2014, where she was captain of the intercollegiate dressage team. Based in Millbrook, New York, Natasha remains committed to expanding community access to equestrian opportunities through Strider, in addition to managing Bluewood Farm and Vineyard LLC, a boutique sport horse training and Poitou donkey breeding facility. The Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular is the first ever horse show created by women, operated by women, benefiting women's health, and showcasing women in business. This one-of-a-kind, extraordinary event is one you will not want to miss and is open to all competitors, both men and women, in the equestrian community. The Saratoga WIB Spectacular Horse Show is a USEF A-rated jumper three-star competition from July 13th through 17th, 2022 in Stillwater, New York. The Saratoga WIB Spectacular will partner and collaborate with equestrian businesswomen on this initiative. Exhibitors and attendees will be offered educational opportunities throughout the show and beyond to meet, interact, listen, and learn from a variety of remarkable women willing to share information about their careers and the paths they chose. For information on how to support Saratoga WIB Spectacular, visit www.saratogahorseshows.com. Hi, Tara. Hi, Natasha. Thanks so much for joining us today to talk about boundaries and you guys and your company. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having us. We're delighted to be here. 
Yeah, so, I know. Um, you guys have been such great supporters of equestrian business women from the start. You know, it's so much fun to have people on the podcast and get to know more about them and learn, you know, their backgrounds and about their companies. We get kind of a working relationship with a lot of people, but we don't always get to delve into a lot of the details and learn more. So I'm excited to do that with you guys today. Sounds good. All right. So to start, maybe Tara, you could start to talk about the work dynamic between the two of you. I mean, like my company, it's it's small and it's women. How do you guys, when you started, like, how did you define the roles when you were getting going? So when we, when I first launched the company back in 2016, we had a lot of females. We also had various different people on the team. And Natasha came on board near the end of 2017. She had responded back to a posting we had for a regional ambassador, uh, brand ambassador for the company. And in about two weeks, maybe a week, it was pretty obvious she was completely overqualified for that position and had a lot more to offer to the company. And so we quickly threw that job description out the window and said, okay, well, you've got a lot to add to this company. So how do we make this work and and work in a way that we can take advantage of it? And very quickly promoted her to chief operating officer of Strider because she's really got the vision and the ability to see the full picture of how we interact with the clients, how we interact with our partners, um, where we add value throughout the sport and where we could take Strider as a company. So dynamics became very quickly us playing off each other's strengths and being able to work together as a team to jointly get the vision of Strider moving forward. Right. Yeah. Tara's vision for Strider for the company was so easy for me to grasp. I really, I came from the restaurant industry, like through my childhood, essentially I was raised in by people who were all doing restaurants. Um, and then obviously, you know, was a working student and did all the horse stuff. And so there was so much of those evolutions from the restaurant industry that I could see were needed in the horse industry. Like a lot of that automated booking and sort of just digital options expanding, like making it easier for people to find stuff. It made sense. So yeah. And Tara has been awesome to work with. I mean, she really had like the sort of tech details figured out, which is great because I'm not the most tech savvy individual. And first and foremost, she was always like, we need to make this easy for people to use. Which yeah. was great because you know, I was like, I don't really get it, but I'm happy to talk about it. Oh, yep. Now I get it. Okay. It's pretty easy to grasp, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think um, that's so important when you have people on a team that you have to have different strengths so that you're covering more of what's needed in a company. Have you guys found that the way you work together has changed over the years? I think a little bit, the way that we have evolved the company has sort of been a series of discussions from this like bigger vision. Mm -hmm. And so Tara, feel free to jump in here, but it's very much like our strengths were the things that we were leading with in those discussions to make those changes. Mm -hmm. I'd say that as we've divvied up the work and kind of changed focus over the years and grown different areas. Natasha's got a lot of the on the ground impact focus. We do a lot more lists. We do a lot more of like, what can we measure? What are we accountable for as a team to make sure that we're accountable for what we take on? I can do a lot of the abstract tech stuff and I can translate that into a way that works, but ultimately we've got to be able to measure whether or not our customers are using it and whether or not it's adding value to the overall community. So I think we've done a little bit more metrics-based stuff in our work together and making sure we know when we're doing the strengths and weaknesses, there are certain things I'm really not good at and that Natasha's fantastic at. And there's likewise, we'll have other people on the team at various times that they'll be really good at something that Natasha's not good at. Or we try to play off of those different strengths, but make sure that it's done in a way that we're not overwhelming any team member. We're not just nodding our heads to nod our heads that we're actually saying, okay, when is this going to get done by? What's the accountability? What's the date? And what are we looking to accomplish with it? Yeah. So would Tara, would you say then that you really look at your strengths and weaknesses to divide up the work? That's how you take the strategy of dividing up your work? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the stuff divvying up, there are certain things that I'm really skilled at picking up the phone and calling somebody and having a difficult conversation with them. And there's other things where Natasha is much better than I would be at picking up the phone and having that conversation. So we look at who's the best person and who's the best communicator for that particular discussion or that particular effort. Sometimes we'll have calls with partners and one of us, depending on what the partner's needs are, will lead off that call. We definitely look at it kind of a, a back and forth in the partnership. Checks and balances, I would yeah. call it. Yeah. Um, I think too, there are a lot of things where, you know, Tara could totally from start to finish handle it on her own and she'll send it to me sort of at stage three or four or something and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? And like, do we want to push this through? Even though she doesn't necessarily need that input from me, it still is sort of that check and balance of like, okay, does this fit with everything else? Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, vice versa. I do that to her all the time. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so it sounds like you have a pretty good balance of your strengths and weaknesses then that you feel within your business. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. And Tara, what do you think are some of your strengths? Certainly um, communicating the tech and figuring out a solution with the tech that works for the industry. So the horse industry is really weird in that they've got very specific requirements that nobody else in the ground would ever understands. You go to an organizer or a venue and you say, why aren't you taking digital payments? The first thing that they're going to tell you is we can't afford 3%. But you mm-hmm. tell that to anybody else in a $122 billion industry, and they're going to be like, what do you mean they can't afford 3%? Well, ironically, that's what the restaurant industry said when they first started having charge cards in New York City. So we had to figure out a tech solution that didn't charge them 3%. And we had to do it in a way that it was legal and that the credit card processors would agree with it. And so we were able to see our way through that and negotiate a partnership with PayPal so that we could process all the credit cards for all of the venues without them getting hit with 3%. And so I can usually translate and figure out a way, whether it's out of like raw stubbornness or just whatever, (laughs) to get that tech solution in a way that works for the industry. And Natasha is really good at figuring out how to take that tech solution and then translating it into words that actually work for the industry. I come from a very Department of Defense technical background. And so I can talk to you about like physics all day long, but that's not work for the industry. <laughs> and Natasha, besides that, what other strengths do you think that you have? I think customer service is really one of my strengths. I think that I can make people's problems, even if they don't necessarily know that they're their own problems, feel heard and kind of help people to grasp how solutions will work for their business specifically. So I would say that I think communication kind of goes along with that. And I love a timeline. I love a to-do list and I love a timeline. So I will get things done. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you think that some of that comes from the restaurant too? Like the restaurant background and, and having to like please people and... Yeah, I call it more people management than people pleasing because I don't think I don't necessarily think the customer is always right, but (laughs) feel special, right? (laughs) Right. Um, But I think that's something that has really helped me in the horse industry too, right? Because there's a lot of people with disposable income who are maybe not going to treat everybody around them particularly well, and Mm -hmm. you can sort of bear through that and smile and make them feel heard and find a solution to whatever the actual issue is. Even if it's just, Oh, you're having a terrible day. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Um, you can kind of move through that. So yeah. Yeah. The hospitality has played a big role in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that for sure. How about your weaknesses, Natasha? What would you say a weakness that you have is terrible at saying no. Mm. <laughs> really terrible, which is kind of funny that we're all sitting here talking about boundaries, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Something <laughs> that I struggle with to this day is saying like, nope, I am turning my phone off at this time. I'm not available to you. I'm not at your disposal at all times of day. Hey, that project is not necessarily something that I want to take on because I... Again, like solutions oriented, I want to solve all the problems and be the helpful person. So yeah, I think that my weakness is the thing that I focus on a lot with the boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) I also think it's a different situation if 
you're running or own your own company and you're responsible for all of the things and you have to be there for it. Like that's a lot different than someone who works for a large corporation and, you know, doesn't have to respond to everything all the time. Yeah, I'm that person. (laughs) I I actually had some technical difficulty getting on my computer today because I completely missed an email about some new system that they implemented. (laughs) (laughs) And Tara, how about you? What kind of weaknesses do you think that you have? I think that scope creep is a weakness. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's as Jen Wood was just mentioning, you know, when you are one of the head honchos at a company, when you founded the company, when it's your company, whatever, you start into this and then you get into this and then you get into this and, oh, an employee satisfaction means great deals. Maybe we need to launch this particular program. And and have we sent this person to this training and what are we doing for payroll? And, and, oh, by the way, did we come up with our policy on this particular issue? And do we have a crisis policy for smart safe sport? And, there's a lot of scope creep that can happen and staying focused on the top three priorities for the day can be extremely challenging and and being able to say, Hey, listen, I appreciate that's meaningful, but that is not a priority to be accomplished today or a priority to be accomplished this week. We're going to put that on our wish list, um, whether Mm -hmm. that's feature wish list for the developers or for the platform or whatever, but we're not going to answer it or maybe come up with it today. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of scope creep. I, I battle scope creep all the time. I mean, my husband mm-hmm. is probably like pulling his hair out on various days because you start off focused on one particular initiative. And then as you start unraveling the onion, you find all these other things that you want to go down. And it can be very difficult to hit pause and say, what's my core objective today? And what am I looking for results at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And how do you... to settle disagreements between yourselves? I would say that so much of how we kind of operate is that we don't have a ton of disagreements. I mean, Tara, you know, again, chime in here, but I feel like we really don't butt heads about stuff. Both of us take a breath and say, like, does this matter? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have a little bit of like processes and policies in place for dealing with problems if they come up from clients or what have you, or partners or problems with the tech that arrive on occasion. But I think too, that we are particularly adept at just sitting down and having a brainstorming session about something if it needs it. Like we are, and Tara has sort of perfected this, but just saying like, that doesn't matter emotionally, right? Like I'm not going to get emotionally tied to that idea. We're just going to talk about it as something abstract and then figure out how to move forward. I like that idea. Yeah. And sometimes it comes down to understanding, like, I don't agree with your perspective, but you know what? That's not my area of expertise and I'm wrong frequently. So there might be times when I'm like, I don't think we should be doing that. Or Natasha's like, Tara, that's a completely the wrong area, but that's not my area of expertise. And then we'll circle back in 15 minutes and I'll be like, you know what? I can see giving this a shot. Um, so I agree with Natasha. It's not really a disagreement. It's more like, how do we get, how do we get a joint strategy? an agreed upon strategy out there moving forward. And that's part of what makes Natasha so easy to work with is because she's willing to have those discussions and go down a a different angle. We both have a bit of a background in kind of the poli-sci theory type (laughs) world from college and and graduate work and stuff like that. So I think we both look at things both in a micro and a macro perspective frequently. So it's like, okay, this is the micro situation that we're arguing about right now in front of us, whether that's a social media issue or a post or a customer who's upset, but this is the macro value that we have. We know that we care about how we deal with our customers. We want our customers happy, but we also don't want a situation where our employees feel abused because the customers are coming and screaming at them like they might at a server or in a restaurant or something like that. And because of those shared company values that we're all, everybody in the team is on the same page about, we're able to do that micro macro discussion, even if the discussion gets heated. And it's, I think it's good if it gets heated because you want people caring about stuff. You want people to be like, no, I, I really think we need to be pushing forward this picture versus this picture. Ultimately, that's why you're satisfied with your job is because you're passionate about it. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, but I do think that's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because if somebody does call you and say, your blah, blah, blah doesn't work. You're like, Oh my gosh, my entire, you have to learn how to separate yourself from that. Right. And from somebody as a representative of a company or as striders, like our kid, um, in some ways you have to separate yourself from it a little bit and be like, okay, this isn't working for them on that particular day because maybe they spilled their bowl of cereal this morning and it was a rough day, (laughs) you know, like, but that separation is tough to figure out. And so I think in those instances, Tara and I do bounce off one another a lot where we're like, okay, something isn't working, but I think this is just something we can work through. Yeah. I think it takes practice too, though. I mean, to get into that mindset, like, and reminding yourself, so you're not automatically reacting emotionally to something that may not be really your fault or reacting off the cuff to each other without understanding the full meaning behind it. Yeah. 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 This is obviously an audio thing, but Tara and I are both sitting here. (laughs) (laughs) We very early on said, okay, what are our, what are our customer service buckets? What are our policies? And so we looked at it a little bit like, Hey, what are some of the best practices from high performing companies, the corporate world that we can take into place for Strider and say, whether that's customer service in the restaurant industry or USAA or smart pack, but what are those, what are those tools in the toolkit that we can pull into Strider that can make us a saner leadership team. And one of those things was the customer service buckets and understanding that we're going to have some emails that come in and the customer service team is going to pass some things over the transom to us and say, hey, we, we need your top cover on this one. And sometimes it's going to be an organizer at 9 a.m. who's just spilled their cereal into their computer. And sometimes it's an organizer at 9 p.m. that cannot run their entries for the next day and needs us to call on the developers and make sure they do what they need to do. And so we have that down as company policy. We know what, what thing is urgent at this point in the company. And what thing is just like, okay, they're having a bad day. We'll give them a call in the morning and help out the customer service reps. And we're able to do that because we have that procedure in place to say, this is a tier one priority. This is a tier three. Yeah. That probably also leads into the next question about setting the boundaries. So if you have those policies, it sounds like that kind of helps you set some boundaries for your business. Absolutely. The boundaries have evolved as the business has evolved. And they continue to. And I would say we, you know, we revisit the boundaries, we revisit the priorities annually at least, but also probably semi-annually as we change our, our business objectives and things like that, or as we evolve them. We launched a few products last year and during COVID that ultimately meant that we had to change some of the boundaries. We're unique in the industry because we're a C corporation. Most of your horse entities are either sole proprietorships or LLCs, or and you have a lot of nonprofits that are the associations. But when you're a C corporation, like ultimately everything has to go in your books. You can't just wake up in the morning right. and Google and say, oh, I think I'll do this work for this library over here. There's people out there that are auditing your books and you're accountable to them. And so we've got a board of directors that keeps us accountable and says, hey, listen, if you're doing this work or if you're doing this initiative... It's got to be on the books. It's not something that you're doing under the table. And part of that means that we set boundaries for what are our team members getting involved in? What meetings are they going to? What calls are they taking? So if you get on a call, it's very easy to just talk and talk about ideas. And so we say, hey, listen, if you're getting on a call and it's going to be more than 45 minutes, get the agenda. What are you guys going to be talking about? Otherwise, don't get on the call because you don't know what the purpose of the call is. Hmm. Um, And that's a boundary that we've set in the work boundaries. Socially, the boundaries we set depend a little bit on whether it's a personal life or or a work life thing. I'm very happy personally to go out to lunch with my friends and family members four times a week. If you ask me to drive to a client's site four times a week and it's a different site each time, I will probably blow my brains out. (laughs) <laughs> um, that's not something I can physically do and emotionally take on that sort of lifting and shifting. I can do Zoom calls all afternoon, but please don't ask me to drive to another horse farm on another Tuesday afternoon. Like, oh my God, I just want to go see my horse. And yeah. 
you know, and that's a little bit the opposite, which again, like works well for us. I get mm-hmm. super energized interacting with our clients and touring their facilities and seeing what lights them up like that mm-hmm. totally drives me. And again, like I have to, for my schedule, make sure that I don't have six hours straight of Zoom calls. And early on, Tara had me sit in on a bunch of the tech development stuff. And I was like, nope, this, I, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's four o'clock in the morning. And second of all, this is not a a language that I speak. So translate and give me the spark notes, which she has been wonderful at doing. Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing that we do just to go back a little bit to the more business structure policies is that we try really hard to manage people's expectations. So if somebody sends an email to our support team, they get an automated response within seconds. And that keeps that person from continuing to get madder and madder if they're mad, right? Or get impatient. They get a response that says, hey, we're going to get back to you in 24 hours. If it's less than that, great. We have exceeded expectations. If it's more than that, then that's on us, right? And that's something that we look at and say, hey, guys, like, let's manage these customers a little bit better or what have you. But I think that those tools can be really helpful. Like what things can you set up to keep your sanity? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And do you set different boundaries for different aspects of your life, like personally? Tara? Yes. So for example, I generally personally don't do emails after about 7 p.m. at night. I will absolutely do emails after 7 p.m. at night if there's a client facing issue that we need to resolve. And I will work till 11, 12 o'clock at night to resolve the issue. But personally, I'd much prefer to be off everything digital after seven o'clock and just spend some time with family. So it's a question of what is the boundary? Work-wise, I work really well. I'm kind of your true horse person. I work really well in the morning. So I love to work early in the morning, but that also means that personally, I can't do my personal things in the morning because my brain's only going to work in one trajectory and it's either going to work in work or it's going to work in personal in the morning. And so you kind of have to set those boundaries of what days am I going to allocate my most productive hours of the day to something personal versus something work-related and know when you're going to have those boundaries kind of changed. One of the things that the high-performance team set up I think before the Olympics was they basically said, figure out when you are the most productive and when you are the most motivated. And that's when you're training your horse. It's not when you're training other clients. It's not when you're talking to your sponsors. It's when you are working on you. And I think that boundary and figuring out when you need to work on things and when you're going to get the most results out of it has been something I've really worked on over the last year and a half personally. And is that something that you return to often? Like, are you constantly changing or adapting them based on? Um, I'm constantly trying to hold myself accountable to it. Like what's the best way you can schedule your time? Do you work with something that's visual and you actually have a written time thing? Or do you work with Google Calendar? You have Mm -hmm. Google Calendar, but you want to physically write in that, you know, today I'm going to do yoga and have some personal time for myself versus be on 17 Zoom calls and and my hair out. Do you need to look at that visually to remember what's going on? I think different ways that your brain organizes and remembers things. I tend to be very visual. So I like seeing something on a piece of paper, even if that means I'm printing out my Google calendar. But I also like looking at it at the end of the week and saying, I had this intention at the start of the week. How much of that intention did you do? And sometimes as a female, you have to give yourself permission for going off base sometimes. You know, you go off journey. You know, you have an intention on a Sunday or a Monday. And then by Friday, Saturday, okay, things weren't exactly what you intended, but that's okay. You have to give yourself that flexibility. Um, it's constantly an iterative process, I think. I don't think any of us have ever perfected it. If we have, I want to meet the person. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I had like three days last week where I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This, this, this. And then I like got halfway through the day. I was like, I didn't do any of that. (laughs) It is not the way I laid it out. Like, like, oh, wait a minute. Okay. (laughs) I still need to. I heard someone use a really great phrase once that they were late to a meeting or something, or they weren't prepared in quite the right way. And they were like, oh, my day's gone a little pear shaped. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I think it's just working to lower the percentage of pear shaped days you have. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although sometimes, you know, a lot of it's out of your control and maybe it's just then reacting to it, preparing as best you can and, and then being prepared for things to not work out like you expected. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's something I've, I've struggled with is basically putting in time in the day to allow those reactions and get to a point where you're like, I'm going to have a list. I'm going to have the perfect schedule. I'm not going to have any scope creep. So I will have everything as tightly organized as possible. And the reality is when you're running a business, you need time to absorb the new things that come in and you mm-hmm. keep that in your schedule. Otherwise you're, you're quickly going to implode. Yeah. yeah, And as horse people too, I think Tara and I both have the sort of like, and equine disaster bucket. Yeah, Those things happen. And I have to say, personally, I'm very grateful to work in an industry that understands that. Yeah. Because I think for so many like adult amateur riders that I know, they don't have that leeway. There's something to be said for that. Tara and I are definitely both on the same wavelength where if she texts me and she's like, something's up. I'm like, okay, no problem. We'll fix this later. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And Natasha, are there personal boundaries? Like Tara said, she tries not to be digital after 7 PM. Are there things in your life that you've put into place? I love the do not disturb and sleep mode on my phone. I love them. Um, (laughs) I rely on them very, very heavily because I think it's so easy to scroll and it's so easy to scroll and then go down a rabbit hole of ideas or emails or whatever. So I think that digital boundary is really good. I also try not to answer phone calls that aren't scheduled. So even if it's someone that could be a potential new client, there are ways that they can get in touch with me that are better than just cold calling me. So with that, I also try not to cold call people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just, I set that boundary for myself. My time matters to me a lot, um, especially because I do try to carve it out in certain ways and say, okay, like this is time at my desk and this is time to do whatever. And this is time to be with my horse and this is time to go outside. When people creep into my time, I get upset. And so I never want to do that to other people. (laughs) Yeah. I think that works kind of as a social boundary, right. Of how you relate to others and putting it out there. that This is what you'll accept. And this is what you won't accept. And that said, like, if any of my friends call me, they know that they can usually get through, but definitely Mm -hmm. it's a number I don't recognize. And I think it's going to be like a schmoozy work thing. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, we'll figure this out. <laughs> and part of that, I think what Natasha's getting at is a little bit of like, we try to practice what we preach. And one of the things we've been preaching throughout the history of the company is valuing your time as a business person and setting mm-hmm. a value for your time. And so if you happen to own a horse farm, understanding how many hours a day are you working and what are you getting out of that work and not devaluing it and not saying, okay, I'm going to work for 17 cents an hour. Child, a lot of our organizers end up doing right. They charge maybe a hundred dollars for a 45 minute riding lesson, but then we'll spend four and a half hours processing check payments. And it's a little bit like, okay, so you are working for 17 cents an hour at that point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah, that's, um, a topic Jen and I have talked about before of how people can set their value and how to figure that out. Because that's a, a pretty tough thing, I think, especially for people in the equine industry to do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, because I think there's so much more that goes into the job rather than like the straight, like you were saying, the straight job that you get paid for and then everything else that goes along with horses that are 24 seven, really. And I thought that was interesting that you brought up the value, but financial boundaries, like is, I think a topic, a lot of people don't talk a lot about, like, what are you willing to spend money on too? Like how much are you willing to invest financially on things? And I don't think a lot of people have, are very clear on what they will spend and what they won't with horses. It's passion and I'll pay whatever it takes to maybe even save this horse or pay for this surgery and not knowing what you'll get out of it. Is there maybe, and this is more um, work related, but 
are there financial boundaries that you guys set for things through Strider too? Yep. I, I a hundred percent agree with you as far as that, like, Oh, I'll pay for this surgery, but I'm not sure what the value of X, Y, and Z is. One of the things we've struggled with, you know, we've got our missionaries, we've got the customer support, we've got the business growth and we've got the community support. So if we've got a business idea that works for the industry and supports community, that's great, but it has to support the business. So ultimately it has to bring in some revenue for the business, or we're just kind of writing checks out of the personal coffers of Strider for everybody else to run their businesses that may or may not be making money either. So ultimately we get a lot of situations where, especially in the horse industry, where an entity will come to us and say, you know what, it would be great if you could do X, Y, and Z for us. And we learned pretty quickly as the company evolved that we had to start at the end and work backwards and say, okay, in the event that somebody were able to create this functionality for your association or your membership or whatever, what do you envision them paying for it? What do you envision being charged for it? Because ultimately, we can't just do free development work for everybody who comes to us who wants free development work. And we had to really get a little bit more direct with those sort of financial limitations and set a cap on when we do financial investments like business development work, um, when we do proposaling for associations, when we do a proposaling for grants, because all of that stuff costs us money as a business. And we had to be very strategic in when we're going to allocate those financial resources. Having somebody do a proposal that takes them four or five hours, somebody's got to make payroll on that. Mm-hmm. So if that proposal is not going to get you anywhere, that proposal is only going to get you $65. Do you really want to spend six to eight hours pulling together that proposal? Because it's you're never going to see the return on that investment. So we've done a lot of setting boundaries on where we will put our business development resources, both financially and personnel-wise, long-term in the industry, whether that's our people on the ground or our developers or our marketing people, where we're going to put our marketing resources against, what things we're going to promote, what things we're going to co-host, what things we're going to co-sponsor. Ultimately, we have a financial bottom line we have to hit and we have to be accountable to it. Mm-hmm. And that accountability of the board too. I mean, part of that was like tracking hours. So you realize very quickly who and what starts to monopolize your time (laughs) (laughs) down is, is key for not only like the financial bottom line, but for your own sanity in some cases. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you've got stories of, you know, you you have a a contract as a business and then the handholding of that contract takes a great deal longer than you ever anticipated. Mm, absolutely. And how many, like how many horse trainers and how many of those have that one client that really sucks the life out of them, yes. but, you know, 10 others that are delightful. Like it's figuring out those balances a little bit too. Yeah. And once you guys know what boundaries are set, how do you stick to it? Like, is there a certain strategy that you use to, to sticking to it? Well, one of the things that's been beneficial is if there's no money to pay for it, there's no money to pay for it. Um, that's the great boundary i'm like listen i appreciate you want us to take on this endeavor and we all agree that it is a fantastic idea to you know launch a space shuttle over to mars brilliant especially if there's a pony involved but there's no money to pay for it and so until you magically come up with the money that's actually going to make payroll we can't move forward on it and so that financial reality of it to a certain extent is a really good check and balance on the limitations to say, where's the money coming from? And we've been very good at figuring out annual budgets and what's our marketing budget and what's our overflow budget and what are our targets. And it's part of holding the team accountable from a business perspective, because we know, hey, listen, ultimately, it's got to come from somewhere. The other things we look at is just the internal policies we have to stay legal. So like data sharing, um, we know we can't just share. We have um, a partnership with the United States Equestrian Federation. We have all 180 or 53,000 of their members automatically synced into our database. We can't just share that data. We can't mm-hmm. share their personal information. We can't share their email addresses. There's legal agreements on that. And so legality plays a good check and balance on the boundaries of what we're going to do, um, making sure that we protect people's personal information and don't disclose that. And the partners' equities also play a good balance in that as well. Who have we partnered with? What are some of their equities? What are some of their concerns? Can we take on two obligations that might be contradictory? And if they are contradictory, well, then that's going to be a boundary. Um, mm-hmm. I cannot do. 
And as an example, like the sort of scope creep of building out new functionality for somebody, we have policy that we have in place of like, okay, you come to us with an idea. There's a review process after there's research that we have to do on our end. You're not just going to get off of a call with us and have a new product that we've developed for you. But like setting that understanding at the beginning and making everybody aware of that is pretty important. Also practice with all of these things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's not easy to keep the walls that you build up all the time. So yeah, there's a good reason not to. It's one of those things that you leave the emergency room and you think you've said everything and that the next doctor knows exactly what they're doing. And then a case comes in and you're like, oh, I never thought about that. Now all the false procedures we put in place go out the window. And so sometimes stuff comes up and you're like, yes, I know we said all of this, but we never, we never counted for. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And is there a certain way that you guys keep each other accountable for keeping those boundaries? I think we call up each other yeah. um, when we're starting to starting to fray. I think we're both very good at knowing when we're fraying and calling for a sanity check. Um, <laughs> so I think that's pretty good. I also think we, and this wasn't something that we always did, but we have a standing call now and it can be a 10 minute call or it can be a two hour call sometimes. But having that on the calendar for us is both really helpful and just saying like, Hey, where are you at? Checking in. Okay. This is getting a little out of hand. This is going really well. You know, all of that stuff. Can you maybe Tara walk us through the process of figuring out what kind of boundaries to set for businesses? Like, is it more aspects or do you think it's, it really like, could you apply the same type of boundaries across different types of businesses? I think you can uh, apply the same identification of priorities to different types Mm -hmm. of businesses. So for example, I think every business has financial boundaries, has legal boundary boundaries, has communication boundaries and has employee boundaries. So at the end of the day, you've got certain things that you're going to allow with your employees, whether that's work from home, a casual work uh, schedule, whatever. There are certain policies. And that's important for you to manage your expectations for the team that's working for you and for what gratification they're going to get out of their job. We have a partnership with Georgetown University where we take on a lot of interns each year managing their expectations of this is what I expect from you. This is the amount of hours that we're going to have when you're working here. And this is what you can expect from Strider, I think is really important. Whether you're in the horse world or the financial world or telecommunications, managing the people's expectations, the employee's expectations, I think is important. Having a firm idea of what your legal priorities are, it differs for every single industry, but I am always amazed at the number of businesses that we call up that don't know what their legal priorities are meaning they don't know what it's like to sell a horse and get sued. They don't have a contract that enables them to be protected. They don't have insurance waivers set up properly, or they're not actually doing insurance waivers. Um, Maybe they don't have a business license, but they need a business license. Maybe they're teaching horseback riding, but they don't have errors and emissions. And so if they send somebody over a jump and it's the wrong jump and they get sued, they're completely unprotected. All of those legal questions, depending on whatever industry you're in, if you're a doctor, you need malpractice insurance. But if you're in the horse industry, there are certain legal things you need to pay attention to regardless of the type of business you've got. Um, The financial aspect, how are you collecting your money and are you leaving money on the table? doesn't matter what business you're in. There are certain workflows that you can do to make sure that you collect money quicker, like digital invoicing. And things that are going to make you a crazy woman, like, hey, I have a written check that I put in my britches, and then the britches went through the washing machine, and now that written check is no longer a check that I can actually pull in to make payroll, that sort of stuff. So I think those buckets apply to any company that you you look at. It's best business practices of how you set up a business. I don't know that we always see them in the same level, but I think that you have to consider those parameters of your financial situation. How are you going to track your financials? It's amazing to me how many clients we have that are using the back of envelopes, handwritten stuff, or if they're really sophisticated, they might have an Excel spreadsheet. And then the communications. I think any business has to have a communication strategy. And you probably have seen this front and center, but what is the messaging they're trying to get out? 
to the world in general? How are they trying to represent their venue, their brand, their value add? What is their position when a crisis happens? Maybe somebody's fallen off and been evacuated by a helicopter to the local ER. Maybe there's been a scandal in the sport and it happened at their facility, whatever it is. Do they have a plan for communications and the, do they have a way to address that in a way that makes them look good, allows them to continue? And I think those little buckets, if you call them, are relevant regardless of the business. Yeah, no, it's really helpful. I think even just, I think a lot of people may listen and be like, oh, I don't have anything set up in that section of my business. So I think that could be really helpful to people. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about, I was like, oh, wait. I mean, not that I'm teaching or anything, but I'm like, did I sign that something like that for the place where I have my horses? <laughs> and part of it is, is, you know, some people look at it and they say, well, I don't necessarily need that for where I'm at. You may not need it for where you're at, but do you need it in three years for where you're pl- trying to get to? So if you're yeah. trying to grow your business, have you set it up in such a way that you can grow it, that you can triple your income, that you can triple your students, can you can triple the amount of communications you're putting out on Facebook and Instagram without you turning into a crazy person? Or do you have no plan for that? Yeah. Um, having those can you can handle your two in-house clients calling and emailing and texting you all the time. But what if that number turns into 10, which is going to make you more money and, you know, will happen because your business is successful. You can't really manage that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you probably have to think about it the other way too. If business falls off, you know, how to handle that as well. And Natasha, can you talk about if somebody does cross your boundaries, what kind of steps do you take? Yeah, sure. Well, first I call Tara screaming. (laughs) (laughs) And I always have the same response. I'm like, your time matters. Remember your time matters. (laughs) Yes, that is, that is it. I try very hard to remember that my time matters and that my, whatever boundary we're talking about is in place for a reason and that I am justified in whatever action I'm taking. Like if I don't answer the phone because you have called unannounced, so to speak, it's okay that I don't answer it. It's okay that it's Saturday and I'm at a horse show in Vermont where there's no service and (laughs) I'm not going to answer. You know, like (laughs) those are all things that are okay. And I think recognizing that is how I deal with the boundary being crossed. And if somebody, is there a circumstance that you would let somebody cross a boundary? I think, you know, what Tara said before about having those sort of tiers of issues, if it's something like a show organizer who maybe contacted the support team, but it was after hours, they know me personally, something is really going wrong and they have riders arriving at 7am the next day. Like I can recognize that they need help on a Friday night when I'm trying to do something else. Mm -hmm. I think it's very much keeping those tiers and understanding that everything is a little relative. So you can have those wiggle rooms where you need it. Yeah. I can add to that a little bit too. So my background before Strider was I did a lot of work for the Department of Defense. And so frequently, once I left the building, you couldn't call me about anything because I couldn't discuss it. Like you had to get back into the building in order for me to discuss it. So it made it very easy to have a work-life balance. Although things were channeling back in the back of my head, I couldn't actually talk about it. So life was great. So that's all well and good, but this is a totally different industry. We quickly, you know, we have these procedures in place and we have these policies and, you know, okay, well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. But then you have a national or an international headline and everything goes out the door. All those boundaries are immediately suspended. So we had very firm procedures and policies for how people were allowed to use our platform, what sort of things they could charge money for and how they could collect money through our platform. And it was basically, if you had a date-based bookings associated with the equestrian industry, a horse show, a masterclass, a seminar, a convention, you could process payment for that through our platform. Well, then COVID happened. And... All of a sudden, you had all these venues and all these horse farms that needed to collect money and simply had no way of collecting money. And they did not want to touch a piece of paper. They didn't want to touch anything that was contaminated by COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we said, suspending everything, 
You can use our platform to process board payment and lesson payment. If you're having a digitally like remote virtual lesson and you need to process the payment and you need a way to collect it and you're not set up, process it through our platform. We opened up all the, the use cases and said, we're suspending our normal boundaries because this is an exceptional situation and you cannot function if you can't collect board from your clients and you've got horses in your facility. Likewise, I was coming back from Europe another time after a long weekend in London and I had everything set to out of office. I had all my things like, this is my family life. This is my personal life. I'm not answering the phone. I'm out of office. I'm going to take a few days off. And my phone just started ringing. Why? Because somebody got safe sported at the top of the sport and the world went nuts. And they all wanted to know like, what do we do? Do we cancel a masterclass? How do we issue a statement? What's our policy? Do we need to issue refunds? Who issues refunds? And so I'm on a laptop in the middle of an airport terminal, suspending all boundaries and saying, we need to solve this crisis right now. We need to make sure that all of our clients have the support they need to have the answers they need. So situations like that, your normal policies and procedures go out the door because it's an extenuating circumstance. And mm-hmm. you know, we accommodate extenuating circumstances because really that's the reality of life. It's going yeah. to happen. Although I think the COVID situation, I mean, worldwide, I'm sure, but really led people to reevaluate how their business could function in different ways. And like you said, you changed your boundaries of what you would allow to process through your website. But do you think that in turn helped change your business and what you could offer people? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what we wound up finding out was more people were willing to go virtual and use digital transactions because they had this sort of forced exposure to it. And then mm-hmm. they started back to say, well, if we tweak this and we tweak this, could we do it this way? And so we were able to come up with our Strider Plus service in large part because of the feedback we had from people saying, okay, this is COVID and this is how we're using the platform now. Could we potentially do it this way over here? I think COVID did more to accelerate technology adoption in the horse world and good business practices in the horse world than possibly any other like world event could have because they had to start thinking about ways to manage their businesses efficiently um, and digitally, which the horse world historically was stuck back in 1985. Right. So you saw a lot of movement going to digital because of COVID. Did, did you have that vision like you were going to eventually get there and and open it up or were you looking to just keep Strider for those master classes and and conferences and things like that? So the main platform has always been focused on date-based bookings. We wanted it to have a certain caliber of experience. So we didn't want it to turn into Craigslist where people could just post whatever they wanted to post. It's always been known as the place where you can find the top names in the sport and the top experiences. And we wanted to keep it like that. And also because as part of our partnership with PayPal, we have to guarantee certain things. So if you're running a horse farm and people pay you and you don't provide the services, you're supposed to issue a refund. Well, if that horse farm doesn't issue the refund, they processed it through our platform. Mm-hmm. So we take those obligations pretty seriously because ultimately we said to PayPal, we're going to make sure that there's no fraud on the platform, that people aren't using fraudulent credit cards. They're not just buying Voltaire saddles off the back of a truck through our platform. Usually people don't use a fake credit card to enter into like hits Ocala because ultimately they're going to show up down in Ocala. And if they've got a fake credit card, they're not you know, jumping that round. Right. Um, So the date-based bookings allows us to make sure that there's a certain degree of fraud prevention inherently in the digital transactions. We had envisioned taking the platform in a way that we offered more more holistic services like the digital waivers and stuff. And so COVID accelerated that. So now our digital waiver service was definitely accelerated through COVID. Really cool. Thank you guys for talking to us about your your boundaries, both personal and professional. And it was great to learn more about what you guys do and how you work together and what your company can provide. And usually uh, at the end of every episode, we have our rapid fire questions, which usually lead to more fun conversations. <laughs> and Connor asks the first one. So Natasha, what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I think figuring out 
how many times a day you apologize and cutting that number by 75%. <laughs> I like that. I think that's huge for women um, and for people in general, like just take stock of it and cut it down. And Tara, how about you? What's one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I think they can be honest with themselves about what accomplishment or experiences really matter to them and what they're genuinely willing to trade for that experience or that accomplishment and then settle down and get to work. I think a lot of women aren't necessarily honest with themselves about what exactly matters to them or what they're willing to trade for that result. Yeah. And Tara, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Coffee and an early bedtime. It's, <laughs> yeah, you talk about weaknesses. I'm an, an amateur eventer. So getting away from that second glass of wine and not pulling a prank at 2 a.m. is tough for me. <laughs> Making sure I go to bed without a hangover. Natasha, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Spending time outside. I realized how much fresh air I need with so much of my life, like having come from horses and stuff, I, I think it is so important to get outside and that really could, yeah. And coffee, coffee's a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Definitely. It's so funny because I can see it like in my kids when they've been inside too long and they're going crazy. And I'm like, why are you being like this? I don't understand. Oh, right. You've been in this house for a couple hours now. Like you have to go outside and run around and do something. But I think most adults just, it doesn't occur to them or if they've got work to do, or they've got things to do and they've got a to-do list and all of it means sitting in front of a computer or doing a lot of stuff inside. And just, I mean, there's always those things like set an alarm every hour to go take a short walk outside. But that's an effort to do that, right? <laughs> like right. sit down and, and schedule your, put something else on your schedule. Even yeah. there was a really good podcast episode. I think it was by the Huberman lab. And they talked about how you can help yourself sleep better by getting outside for 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening. It really helps your circadian rhythm and all that stuff. And I took that one to heart. And it's worked out for me. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and when I you think always, about it, like what's 10 minutes? Is it yeah. really going to ruin your day to take 10 minutes? It's interesting too, because like I sitting on this end, I'm like coffee in an early bedtime means I'm up at five. I do all my development work. I do have all my meetings. And then I'm, I'm out the door by two and mount the horse from and I'm riding my horse outdoors. And it just mm-hmm. mentally to me, that's totally the, of course, that's what happens. You get up early, you do your work and then you go outside. But that's probably not always what happens every day. You know, <laughs> you just get up early and you sit in front of your computer all day. Yeah. But that outside, like, where are you getting to and what is the ideal scenario of your day? Making sure I can get a couple of those ideal days out there keeps mm-hmm. me up. Yeah. Yeah. I know I spent a lot of time outdoors when during COVID because I'm typically sitting in a car driving places. And when I wasn't doing that, I was sitting at home and I was like, this is driving me crazy. So <laughs> I'm going to start walking. And I, I started walking a lot and just, I mean, it energizes you. It just gives you, it's like refreshing, really. Yeah. And now I, I really can't go without it. I have to walk at some point during the day. I need to like get out and stretch and, and move moving. Yeah. I don't know if I buy into that whole runner's high thing, but I think walking has its best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no way. I'm sorry. No, no. People if you see me running, that, then somebody is chasing me. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was a quote unquote runner for gosh, I don't even know, 20 years probably. And near the end well I probably periodically throughout that like I ran track at school and I did marathon and you know then switched to 5k's and often I'd be like I just don't understand how people how people like this like I don't get why people keep doing this and why do I keep doing this myself (laughs) And all it took was having kids to be like, I don't have to run anymore. <laughs> Physically, I couldn't. And now I'm like, okay, I like walking and I enjoy walking. And I'll yeah. do that, like Jen said. But I don't think I'll ever be a runner again, really. Yeah. It's just, it finally occurred to me, like, why am I doing this to myself? And 
when it's like torture. <laughs> I have an excuse. I had ACL repairs in each of my knees. So I'm like, oh, I, I can't run. I can't run. I just can't. Absolutely. Yeah. Ignore all those professional injuries. athletes that have the same injuries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> unfortunately i don't have quite so many good excuses like i didn't do it for 20 years and i don't have any disabilities i'm just um lazy and don't want to (laughs) (laughs) and that works for you right like find what find what you enjoy and people late in life that discover yoga or tennis or something else that is so much better for them Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's funny all right so the last question ladies natasha what's your favorite horse movie Oh, I think Black Beauty. I don't know if it was like the 80s or 90s version. Not this new one. I haven't seen it yet. I'm not <laughs> probably not going to watch it. But really, I mean, I want every horse movie producer to figure out that they don't just scream all the time. Yes. You know, Why do you have to put noise in? Hire a consultant. You've got yeah. to know someone who knows someone who knows a horse and can tell you. They're not just screaming. Oh, no. <laughs> Horses don't whinny and neigh constantly. No. Like most of them are really quiet. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that black beauty one was, that was pretty awesome growing up. I loved watching that. And Tara, what's your favorite horse movie? I'm going to have to go with Secretariat. You know, I'm, I'm probably the target person that they went after for Secretariat. I love it. I could watch that thing every Friday, you know, (laughs) Um, I just thought the story was well done. I thought the actors were phenomenal. I thought Penny Chesery was amazing. Um, The way they portrayed that one. It's just a great story. Yeah. It's good. Well, thank you so much for being on. This is a really, really great conversation today. And I think a lot of our listeners will get a lot out of it. I know I certainly did. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having us. We're uh, delighted to be on it. Thank you, guys. guys. Thanks. Have a great afternoon. Well, that was a great conversation today, especially about setting boundaries, because I know that that's a topic that everybody that I know of struggles with. There's not too Mm -hmm. many people that I know that are really good about setting their boundaries and sticking to them. Right. And I think what's really great about Tara and Natasha is they give concrete examples of it. Like when I asked Tara about how to do it for business, like she set those four buckets, if you will, of what you should be looking at in your company, no matter what you do, which I think is what people are looking for when they listen to others for advice. Like, how does that apply to me? How do I use that? I need to know what steps to take. And I thought that was really helpful. And they can both give examples personally of how they do things, which others, you know, could totally relate to and try themselves. Yeah. And one of the things that I really liked when Natasha was talking about it was keeping like the feeling of emotion out of things when people are coming at you and you realizing that it it, it might not be you, it might be them and they might be having a bad day. So you can't take it personally. And I mean, I feel like that really applies to me because being in sales and, you know, you have a lot of rejection, but you have a lot of people calling you about problems with some of their systems that they have or products that they have and knowing getting to that point where I can be like, okay, I'm not going to like cry at you yelling at me because like, it's literally not my fault if a product isn't working, you know, like I didn't, I didn't physically make the product. So it's really not my fault. So detachment emotionally, I think I need to practice. And I think that was really relevant because I think a lot of people take things personally. Absolutely. And it's hard not to when you work so hard to to do something or to do a good job or provide a good um, product or experience. And you're putting so much of your own time and effort and passion into it. And to be told you're not doing a good job hurts, like no yeah. matter what, right? even if it's not totally your fault. Yeah. So and I'm sure you I, can feel that a little more personally, because like I'm in a different situation where I do work for a big company and I can kind of say, okay, like this is a product that I didn't make. But a lot of what you do is stuff that you do put your heart and your time and your soul into. So I'm sure that it's a little bit harder to get to that place of, you know, okay, I'm not going to take it 
Because and and honestly, it is it is like more on the people. That's their opinion. It's maybe their feelings, but it it doesn't um, have to hurt you if you can get to a place of being like, okay, maybe it's just their bad day, or you know, they don't see it in my perspective, right? Yeah, and I think some of it is being able to recognize whether it's constructive criticism or if it's somebody having a bad day or just being nasty. Yeah. Just being hurtful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And ignoring that and moving on. Or if it's somebody who really has something to say and wants to get their point across. And like Natasha said, like just managing expectations and having a good customer response to say, I see you. I understand what you're feeling. Here's the solution we can do for someone who really does want a solution and just doesn't, and doesn't just want to complain. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and even those people who, yeah, want to complain, they just want to be heard. Right. And so it's mm -hmm. almost like it doesn't garner like a major response. You just have to be like, okay, I'm listening to you. Right. I see it and we won't do it again or we'll adjust it next time. We'll do what we can. Yeah. And I liked how they both in different ways, like set personal boundaries as well. And based on what's important to them. And I thought Tara's point of looking at when you're most productive and using those hours for Mm -hmm. what you have to do and then versus what you want to do as well, which is something, maybe an exercise that a lot of people don't go through because their schedule is dictated by other things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good lesson in there. And also um, when she was talking about like leaving some room in your schedule for the new things or for the way things change and evolve during the day, I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably do that because like, I like to stack a schedule, right? Like I like to go from things, meetings on top of meetings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I almost feel like it's one of those things where I'm like, all right, I'm going to get up, hit the ground running. And then by like 6 PM, I want to be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing anything anymore. Like I'm done. And so I try and stick it all in. And then I get to like 8 PM and I'm like, oh man, like I'm still doing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I think leaving a little more room in the schedule to get from one place to the other or take a minute to to read my emails and maybe figure out if there's something I need to reprioritize instead of being like, all right, this is my set schedule and I'm not going to be flexible. And then I end up like overdoing it in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, I think it was, yeah. they gave us really good advice to take forward. So I hope that others got something from it too. Yeah. And I, I could totally see where Tara gets her setting boundaries and the procedures and all of that. Once mm-hmm. I learned about her background in the defense, like mm-hmm. working for them, I was like, oh, that's why she's like pretty precise about things. Like she was mm-hmm. like on it, like you need this and this. And I was like, oh, I, I like the procedure part. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> so yeah, no, I hope that other people get a lot out of it because I think there's certainly good stuff in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go set your boundaries. Uh